If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them and turn them to Matthew chapter 25 today. Matthew chapter 25, I'm going to end this message uh, at the end of our time today with a very, very personal story, and uh, believe you're going to be touched in a big way, as I was when I watched this story unfold. Matthew chapter 25. As you turn to Matthew 25, I want to remind you we have uh, a time, a season in which we um, nominate deacons. These are men who are serving the Lord well, who walk with the Lord and are spiritually qualified. And this is the end of our season. So we've had these brochures available for the last three weeks. And I want to encourage you to pick one up as you leave today. You'll see all the ways deacons serve, and you'll also see the qualifications in this brochure. And uh, you, can, you can also nominate them online, I believe, but I really prefer that you look this over and uh, give us the names of those that are serving well, qualified to serve this body as a group of deacons, and we would appreciate that. So that's the last week for that. Also today at the end of the service, I'm going to encourage you to go by our guest central, our volunteer central, as we're going to call it at the end of our service today, just outside the doors. If you go out those central doors, just to the left. It's a big round area with all the TV screens, and it's a place where you can have some important conversations with eight groups of people that I'm going to share with you the names of in just a few moments. So that'll be at the conclusion of the message, at the end of the story I'm going to tell you. But first, into the text of Matthew 25. Please stand with me as we open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. If you've got your text open, would you let me know by saying amen? amen. Great. Sounds great. If you've got your phone open, you've got your iPad open, or you've got your uh, tablet or your leather-bound version open. One of those works for us today. Matthew 25. Now, how many of you take notes of messages in your Bible and you actually write down the points of the preacher? Would you raise your hand? There's a number of you that do that. The reason I know that is because if I ever repeat a message, someone comes up to me and say, you've already preached that one. <laughs> and so I want you to know that I'm going to preach the same points I did last week, but it's a different message, Okay. It just has the same point, so, so that you won't be disappointed in not having new notes to take. Let me just say that you'll really know well the notes I gave you last week and we'll repeat again this week, and you'll see why in just a few moments. I want us to know this text well. Here's why. I cannot say I'm a faithful pastor if you do not understand this. If you don't understand this, that I believe my job is, is not fully done and we'll camp on this for a little while longer because it's so incredibly important. The parable of the talents is one of three stories Jesus tells in Matthew 25, all of them about the end times. Now these are not messages about when Christ comes back. I saw an article yesterday written by a numerologist. There is no such thing as a biblical numerologist. He says Jesus is coming back the 23rd, so you gotta get ready, right? Whenever you read something like that, just close it and move on. It's never true. It's never true. The 14 million people who have predicted Christ's return uh, since he left are all wrong, and this one will be wrong as well. But this is about what we will face, what we will see when he returns and when we stand face to face in front of him. It's a big deal. I'm glad about this this morning. I'm glad that my sins are already paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus won't bring up my sins when I stand before him in heaven. Amen. But he will bring up the way I have lived life, how I have lived life. And that's what this is all about. Beginning in verse 14, this long text again, very important that we know it. For it, that is the kingdom of God. It's just like a man about to go on a journey. Now, this man represents Jesus Christ. 
and the journey is the time away from earth, which Christ is at work but about to return, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. The word immediately is there to introduce the element of time. Verse 17, in the same manner, the one who had received the two talents received two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid. And I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, and these are important words, you wicked and lazy slave. The wicked idea has the idea of selfishness. Laziness has the idea of unwise use of time. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, in Jesus' name, our prayer is for insights and wisdom for our lives today based on this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated if you would. So the man on the journey is representative of Christ. The slaves are professed believers, all those who profess to follow Jesus. The journey is the time he's away. And Christ has been away now for 2,000 years. And one day we'll come back. The point of the parable is what does each one do with what they've been given? The idea of the talents is that the master handed over something very valuable. Usually we think of that as money, and certainly it includes that. The talent involves that which is uh, worth something to be able to exchange on the market, something to invest and gain back interest in addition to the investment. It has to do with money, but it also has to do with time because that's what we've been entrusted to as well. It has to do with truth. Once God gives you truth, what do you do with that? It has to do with all kinds of abilities that God gives us. Really, this passage is about how well we live life with what God has given us. And it involves generosity because, after all, we can either be selfish or selfless with our living and with our giving and what we've done. I've defined generosity for our a series here in this way because I believe it's a very accurate depiction of biblical generosity. Generous living is selfless living. It's a willingness to share. 
It's not living with all of our things and all the stuff that God has given us, the time God has given us just for ourselves, but it's being willing to say, I can be selfless. I cannot be selfish all the time. I cannot just focus on me or mine. I can be selfless and I can share all that God has given me. In fact, it's an underlying belief that what God gives us, he intends for us to share. It's important that we understand this in the idea of of what Jesus said is important, that one day we'll come back and give an account to him of all that we have, of our treasure, of our time, of the truth that we've been entrusted with. Now, last week we focused on money, and certainly this applies to money. All the money you have is not really yours, it's God's. God provides that for you. He gives you that for you to live by, for you to take care of responsibilities, but also for you to demonstrate generosity. We looked at that last week. This week, I want to deal with you with, you, with a very, uh, I think, more painful subject than money. You say, what could be more painful than money? And that is your time. Your time is not your own. There are those who say, you know, I've got all the time I want, who find out at some point they don't have all the time they want. Or they say, my time is for me to live the way I want to live. And at some point, they realize they've lived very selfishly or they've lived in such a way where they haven't really lived purposefully. Your time is something that once you spend, you can never get back. Your time is something that once you squander, you can never regain wasted time. And that your time is something that God has given you in the same way he's given you money or the same way he's given you talent. And that's what we want to look at today. Now, the three points we want to see today are the same they were last week. So if you've got your Bible open to what you took notes in last week, those of you that take notes like this, and I appreciate you 100%, you're going to see the same thing. First of all, notice in this parable, he entrusted his possessions to him. That is, the master entrusted all that he had given to the one's who were their servants or their slaves. The idea of the word entrust is to hand off to the side of, the very act of walking with someone and saying, I'm gonna give this to you now. I want you to carry it on all the days of your life when I come back, that I'm gonna talk to you about how wisely you have used that today. This issue is time. There's a passage of scripture that God has really begun to bring to my heart over and over for some reason this year in a bigger way than ever. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, that the psalmist is talking about the issue of time. If you have your Bibles, you should turn to Psalm 90 because this ought to be a theme for all of us to look through. And today we'll actually apply this verse in these next few moments to every single one of our lives in a general way. And here's what it says in Psalms chapter 90, verse 12. Before I get to verse 12, I want to read what it says in verse 10. The psalmist says, as for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 we have some time in life. All of us have some time. We all have an equal amount of time. In the course of a day, we don't all have an equal number of years to live. The psalmist said, maybe 70, maybe 80. And then in verse 12, he summarizes and says, so teach us, he's saying this to God, so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Now today, I want to number your days. I want to number my days. Now, please keep in mind that numbering our days doesn't mean we take a basic health test. It doesn't mean we take our pulse and our blood pressure. It doesn't mean that we step on the scales or check the BMI index out on uh, our body weight indicators and so forth and say, I think I'll live another 20 years. That's not what this passage means. Teaching us to number our days simply means that we look at the amount of time we have in the course of a day to number the hours of our day and say, how well am I living? Am I living a lot of eternity? 
Am I living in light of God giving me this time? Am I living well in light of how I affect other people about whether I have purpose and intent in life or not? He entrusted this time. And in my study over the last couple of weeks of this subject, I've done a lot of evaluation in my own life as well as how I spend my time. And it's somewhat painful. I hope today's message will be painful to you. I hope it's painful. I hope it hurts. Not because I like to inflict pain, but because no pain, no gain in the sense of no evaluation in your life. If you're not willing to look through your life a little bit and evaluate, you're probably not going to live with any more purpose, any more intent, or any more value than you have been thus far. That's why even the psalmist says, teach us to number our days so we can present to you a heart of wisdom. So let's number our, our day for just a few moments. All of us have 24 hours in a day. I'm going to put on the screen a summary of what we have every week. We have about 168 hours per week. Exactly. Not about, but exactly 168 hours per week. Now, I've decided to go ahead and calculate some generalities. Let's just say you spend eight hours a day sleeping, okay? So that means about eight, uh, 58 hours a week sleeping. And uh, with that 58 hours, we'll take away from the 168, and you're down to 110 hours now, Okay. Then let's just say you work a typical 40-hour work week, and maybe you commute an hour there and back. So let's just take 50 for that. And so let's take that off of 110, and we're down to about 60 hours a week. Is that what it says? And with 60 hours a week, let's take away seven hours for grooming. Now, I tried to find a really nice way to say that on Sunday morning other than you're in the bathroom, you know? So the reality is it's a grooming hour where you do what you do with your face, and do what you do in the shower and so forth, Seven hours a week for that. We're down to 53 hours a week. Now, 53 hours a week is 7.5 hours a day. Once you've worked, once you've taken care of yourself, once you have slept, once you've eaten and everything else, you've got now about seven and a half hours a day. Now, if I'm speaking to a person that's retired and they don't have a 50 hours a week that they're working in some way, then, then you have twice that. You have almost 15 hours a day at your disposal and my question is, are you using that well? Are you using that well? I mean, we've got to think about that and what we do when we come home from work. Even though our work can be very redemptive and our work can have very much uh, purpose behind it, meaning behind it. Maybe our work is not just making a salary, not just furthering the company, but we also have some eternal purpose in that. And that's amazing and important and, and powerful to us. But when we evaluate our life, we need to also evaluate in light of one fact that one day we'll stand before Christ and we'll give an account of how it counts for him. Now, I want my life to count for me. All of us have that first thought. But it's also a fact that one day we'll stand before Christ according to this parable and it needs to count for him. What counts for him? Some time ago I came up with an acronym that kind of helps me remind myself of the things that are important for me in the course of a normal day or a normal week. And it's really an acronym with the word time to keep in mind these things that I want to share with you, four of them in all. The time that really counts is time that we spend in truth, time we spend in intercession or prayer, time we spend in ministry, time we spend in evangelism or engaging people that are far from God to help them come to Christ. Those are very important words. Those are very important expenditures of time. Those are things, if you do those things and stand before God one day and say, you know, I spent time surrounding myself in the truth, listening to what you had to say to me. I spent time 
in, uh, in ministry. I spent time in prayer. I spent time in reaching people that were far from you with the good news of Christ. I think you could stand before Christ and say, these were things that were well spent. So let's walk through those for just a moment. What does that really look like? What do those really mean? Truth, first of all. You know, as we walk through the book of Luke together, and we really are in the book of Luke, we've just taken three weeks to look at Matthew 25 for a moment and expand on it. Luke is about what Jesus taught his disciples in, in terms of how to live before he left them by going to the cross and dying and rising again. So he's pouring into his disciples the most important things in life. And it's very easy to find these four things in what he told his disciples. So why don't you go over to Luke with me for just a few moments as we walk through this time acronym very quickly. First of all, the truth. You remember the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10 and in verse 39, where Martha is so busy preparing everything because Jesus has come to the house and Mary is seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. Remember that in verse 39. And then in chapter 10, verse 42, after Martha said, Lord, don't you, don't you care that my sister's not doing anything? She's not helping me. And, and Jesus said, Martha, you're worried about so many things, but only a few things are important, really only one. And Jesus says to, to Martha, not only is one thing necessary, but Mary has chosen the good things and they shall not be taken away from her. And we said, we said as we walked through that text, that Jesus cares a lot about you spending time with him. He cares a lot about you listening to his word. He cares a lot about coming to a corporate worship service with other believers who believe the same book, who believe in the same Christ, Messiah, and who follow him. He, he thinks highly of that. In fact, he wants us, he commands us to worship him. Time spent with truth, time spent listening to truth, time spent with an open Bible, in front of you. Time spent reading and studying what the Word of God says is always good time. No matter how much time you have or how little time you have, it's always a wise investment. God wants us to know Him. And you can't know Him by guessing. You can't know Him just by reading somebody else's words about Him as well as you can by reading His Word to you about Himself. John chapter 17, verse three is so important where Jesus said, this is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's critical to your life. Spend time in a quiet time. Spend time with God. Open up your Bible, read. I can't think of a more important thing for you to read than the word of God. Time spent in truth. Secondly, time spent in intercession, praying for people. If you want your life to count when it comes to impacting other people's lives, pray for them. In Luke chapter 11, verse 9, we looked at that passage just about a week or two ago now. And Jesus said in that passage that you ought to pray. And then in verse 9 in that passage, he says, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall knock and knock and it will be opened to you. And the very idea of asking, seeking and knocking is the, is the idea of prayer. You impact people's lives when you pray for them. You impact your life when you pray for them. So this is his invitation to pray, to ask, to pray for others. Then ministry, that's the end. In chapter 10 of Luke, verse 37, a passage again we've already looked at together. You see the amazing story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember that? Where the two men who did not stop and render aid to the man who was beaten by robbers and thieves, they did not have the time for that act of compassion. They had more important things to do in their mind. They were not going to love their neighbor. They were not going to stop and help their neighbor, but 
the good Samaritan stopped and rendered aid, and not only that, he gave what he had to make sure this man was taken care of well. Generosity all over this man's actions, and this is what we're talking about when we're talking about ministry. Ministering to people who need help, loving your neighbor. After all the demonstrations that we have all the time, we're always looking at this stuff on media and social media. We're always hearing these arguments. I saw a sign that I really liked pop up on a social media site appropriately, I guess. And the sign was, quit watching the news and go love your neighbor. And I thought the perfect solution for all uh, of the negativeness, all the stuff that goes on in our world is really to love one another and to love our neighbor the way Jesus told us to love our neighbor. Ministry is a huge thing. The time that you spend ministering to other people in the name of Christ is not wasted time. You may feel like you've got plenty of other things to do. You may feel like you've been uh, inconvenienced or put at a disadvantage with all the stuff you want to do because you helped someone who needs help. But I tell you, that's not wasted time. And then there's the E, the evangelism or engaging those that are far from God in conversation about the gospel. So incredibly important. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them out in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest. In other words, I want you to go have conversations with people and share with people the good news that I've brought. Time, T-I-M-E, is incredibly important for you to invest in these things in your life with the time you have. And you have at least seven and a half hours a day that you're not working, you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're not in the bathroom, and you have time for these things. But when you began to dive into that, you began to see you have to make some decisions to be able to do that. By the way, there is no way that this series is intended to be a public service announcement for areas in our church where we need people to serve. But I would also be unwise not to share with you that there are many areas of our church where people can serve. You can serve in preschool ministry. You see these children that we brought to the front today. What an amazing thing to think about being able to hold a newborn child or to hold a little child and be able to express the love of God to them, be able to help those parents as they go to study the Word of God, maybe in another classroom, and you're there helping them do that or working with our children. It's amazing how many children come today to this church who have been reached in a public school, perhaps, or by a friend of another one of our children that are part of our church family, but who themselves do not have family members to come to church. They don't have a mom. They don't have a dad that'll bring them to church. All they know about Christ is what we show them here in many cases, or the number of students that are involved in junior high and high school that, that see their first look at a genuine Christian as they walk in the doors of this church, or they go to a camp with us, or some place of ministry like that, or the many adults who need to be mentored, who need to be encouraged, who need to see the picture of a good marriage or how to go through adversity and come out on the other side wisely. They need adults serving them. Or in worship where we lead people to open their mouths and praise the Lord. In first impressions, I still remember the lady that came to our church who gave her life to Christ, later on was baptized. She said because someone in the parking lot found her before she got confused in the mix of all these buildings at the church. And she said, I came in the building because that guy in the parking lot reached out to me and helped me find the right place to go. She later gave her life to Christ, was baptized. As a result of somebody being friendly and reaching out in a parking lot, for those that reach out with us for 
those in our Hispanic areas or our international areas, for those who want to partner with those at Guest Central, helping people that walk in the doors of this church. All these ways to serve. It's amazing how many ways you have to serve just within the walls of the church. And then you add to that all the things we do outside the walls of this church, whether it's Six Stones or it's Kids Beach Club or whether it's going to help the victims of Hurricane Harvey. Whatever it is, there's so many, many ways to serve that we're without excuse when it comes to I don't know what to do or where to go or how to serve. In fact, today, if you think through this, there are those representatives of those ministries at our guest central that would love to talk to you about this because you've been entrusted with the possession of time. And I'm gonna challenge you today, how do you use that time? So he entrusted his possession to them. Secondly, the, the, the point is that accountability will come. He came and settled accounts with them. That's in verse 19. One day, all will be evaluated. And accountability can be tough. We don't like accountability when someone looks at our lives. We don't like to open up and be honest and be real and transparent about things that we prefer to keep quiet or keep to ourselves. But that's what Jesus says is going to happen when we stand before him one day at the end. Our sins are paid for, but we'll be held accountable for how wisely we use those talents, whether it be treasure, time, or truth. Now, I want you to notice the slave here is not an atheist or an agnostic. He is a professing believer in Christ or a professing servant of the master. The bad guy in this story is the guy that says, I'm not going to invest what I've been given. I'm going to bury it in the ground. I'm not going to do anything with that. I'm just going to leave it there. When he comes back and asks for it, I'm going to say, well, here it is. And the reason the guy did that is because this servant cared little for what the master cared for. That's really us when we live for ourselves. And what I want to urge you to do today is realize you can do better than that. You can be more generous than that. You can be more wise with the use of your time. You can give, you can serve, you can share. And here's the thing I want to, I want to really zero in on for these next few moments. We are not given the privilege to waste our lives as others are. Our time is not our own. Now, if there were no God, and if we did not have a day when we stood in front of him and gave an account of our lives, then yeah, we can waste our time like we want. Because if there's no God and there's no account, there's no purpose and there's no meaning, then it doesn't matter. But some of us live as though it doesn't matter now. Some of us live as though our money doesn't matter, our time doesn't matter, our talents don't matter, our treasure doesn't matter. We're living as though there will not be a day that Jesus said there will most certainly be for all of us today. And when Christ comes back, we're going to give an account for that. And we can either hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or we can, we can hear you lazy, wicked servant. Now, that sounds like bad news, unless you invest well. And then it's good news. And the difference between the bad news and the good news is someone that will evaluate their life and make a change. I've got really good news for you today. You know, I've heard this all the time and I've said this a lot. There's just, uh, there's just so much to do and so little time to do it in. I don't know how many times people have said, I just don't have enough time to do what, what the Bible says to do. I don't have time to build relationships with people and and have gospel conversations with them. I don't have time to help people that are hurting. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to open my Bible and read the Word of God. And, and during my study over the last couple of weeks to, uh, about time and about how people spend time, I've got some really good news for you. I have found time. 
I found all the things that we think are gone and missing. I have discovered the place where you can find time. And I'm going to show you where it is in just a few moments. Okay, are you ready? Would you like to have about another four or five hours a day to do those things? I'm going to share with you where you can find that. And I'm not just being sarcastic. I'm just telling you I've discovered it. So are you ready? I'm going to share it with you. A study I did this last couple of weeks, I stumbled upon a website, and don't believe everything you read on the internet, but I did find a report uh, from the Nielsen Total Audience Report uh, pertaining to all forms of media, television, DVR, computers, phones, smartphones, tablets, etc. And here's one nugget out of that entire report. It's an updated report that was given the first quarter of 2017, and here's what it says. About 94% of adults have high-definition television, and the average adult in the United States spends about five hours a day watching shows, movies, and delayed television, which is DVR. Five hours a day. And the older you get, the more you watch. Now, that doesn't include smartphones. Again, that doesn't include tablets, doesn't include computers at work. Five hours a day. Now, I want your attention for just a few moments because I want to talk to you about that five hours for just a minute, just a few minutes. I have discovered that if you wisely use those five hours, you can advance. You can advance in a huge way. Almost everything else that counts in life, and I want to tell you today, what you watch over five hours of television on a, on a common day amounts to nothing of meaning and purpose. So think about this for a minute. If uh, I spend five hours a day watching TV and I multiply that by 365, that's 1,825 hours a year. And if I divide that up into 12-hour segments, so I would know how many half days would I really get out of that? How many half days where I'm not sleeping or anything else, I've got half days to be productive or do something wise, then that ends up being 152 12-hour segments in the course of a year instead of TV. And I think when we look back and number our days, we don't want to have spent five hours a day over the course of 365 days a year. We don't want to have spent 1,820 hours watching television when we can instead change that a bit and watch a little bit of TV and a whole lot of other time spent more wisely. Time with family, time to open the Word of God, time to get to know your neighbor, time to do something Uh, I get stronger or wiser or smarter or spend time advancing your education or spend time being a better person overall or spend time with your spouse or spend time with friends. In one study I did over the past couple of weeks, I found this statement. The final consequence and cost of every choice you make is time. You can't get your time back. Of course, you can do a course correction. You can learn from past mistakes. You can solve problems, but there's always a cost. Once you realize that, you're far more sensitive about spending time on non-essential activities. In one magazine I looked at, Business Insider, contrasting successful people with unsuccessful people and their habits, and most significantly, where they spend their time. Listen to these bullet points. Successful people follow very regular routines, and they have habits where they place their time. They read and others don't. They watch less than an hour of TV daily while others watch multiple hours. They maintain daily to-do lists with written goals and spend time trying to advance those. They get up earlier before work, making the most of that time as well. In other words, they have figured out a way to make their time work for them, and that's why they're successful. Now, this is a study without reference to Christianity, 
But let me bring it into Christianity for just a few moments. Many of those successful people do that because they want to have a successful business. They want to be successful financially. They want to have a successful family. We do it because of eternity. We do it because we want to live life worth living with purpose, with value. We do it because one day we want to stand before God and say, we used our time well. We didn't squander it. We didn't waste it. We didn't act like it was of no consequence. We didn't treat it as though it were not valuable. We saw our time as something that you graciously gave us and we wanted to use it well. That's the attitude of the first two servants, not the attitude of the last servant. Successful people have figured this out. Why can't we? Why can't we? Now, the third point is that reward is promised. This is the good news here. If you number your days wisely, great reward awaits you. The reward is not heaven. Folks, the, the, the heaven that we are promised is a free gift. That's eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ. He paid for that. We don't go to heaven because we've lived well. We go to heaven because Jesus lived perfectly and died on our behalf. We go to heaven because he offers the gift of eternal life. It's not Jesus plus good works. It's not Jesus plus church membership. It's not Jesus plus baptism. It's Jesus plus nothing that we get heaven for. But once we have Jesus, we want to live well. We want to live wisely. We want to invest well because our lives now belong to him and we're not our own. And so when you live well, reward is promised. And really that's the second part of the entire parable there. He comes back after a long time being away. And three things I give you today. The reward that you are promised as a result of using your time wisely is more opportunities he says in verse 21, you were faithful with a few things. I will make you in charge of many things. Make your days count and you'll be able to have more opportunities with which to use your time. Secondly, more changed lives. He said, on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. That's in verse 27. And when you walk through that acronym of time, truth, intercession, ministry, evangelism, you change and people change. You impact people's lives because you spent time in the right things, because you've had the right conversations, because you've done the things that you were called to do. You make a difference and you get a reward. Confirmation of what this very parable says. Finally, more joy. Enter into the joy of your master. I'm thankful for the time I have as you should. But I want you to know nothing is going to be more exciting than the response of the master. Enter into the joy of your master. Last week, I put a picture in front of you of a smiling Jesus, and I want to do that again, a different picture, a little bit more appropriate picture maybe than the one last week. Jesus does not have blonde hair. He does not have blue eyes. He's a Middle Eastern Jewish man, and as he came and walked on earth, he looked a little bit more like that. But the reality is we see Jesus smiling. Often when we think about Jesus and the judgment, we think of a frowning Jesus. We think of a Jesus that's a little bit angry, a little bit mad, because it's judgment, right? But here's the, here's the difference. The judgment that we will go through is like the, the word bema in the Greek. It's like standing on the Olympic platform where we're given rewards for how we've lived life, how well we've lived life. And these good servants are going to see a smiling Jesus. They're going to be able to see Jesus say to them, enter into the joy of your master. 
I've got an application for this. I want to drive home before I tell you a final story. Here's the application. Evaluate your time. How do you use it? Number your days. I actually put an app on my phone last week, and this app absolutely monitors everything you do on a phone. And it tells you the number of hours you're on the phone, the number of hours you're texting, emailing, uh, the number of hours you're on Twitter or Facebook, the number of hours you do all these things that we do on the phone. After one week uh, of this app on my phone recording everything that I do on my phone, I then deleted the app. It got on my nerves so badly. <laughs> Great thing about putting a new app on your phone, if you don't like it, you can just delete it. I didn't like this app because it was telling me bad news. It was evaluating my life. And what right does that app have to evaluate my life, right? <laughs> the truth is, nobody can evaluate their life like you can. And what I'm telling you today is to be courageous and bold enough to look at your life. And as you look at your life and as you evaluate, then find out how you're using your time and number your days. Secondly, Choose the best way to live life and spend time. Choose it. Don't be reactionary. Initiate. I'm going to take a step in the right direction. I'm going to make sure I don't waste it this way, but I invest it this way. I'm going to make sure that at the end of life, I stand before Christ and I see smiling Jesus who's happy with how I spent the time he gave me. Thirdly, commit. Commit to serve Christ with your time now. The most compelling moment for us to embrace the truth is the moment we hear it and know it's true. Not tomorrow, not next week, but when the conviction of the Holy Spirit begins to pull back a few of the layers on our heart and begins to kind of quietly whisper to us, hey, you need to do this. I'm talking to you. Can't tell you how many times I've been seated in a congregation or an auditorium when someone preached and the Holy Spirit has said, this one's for you, it's not for your neighbor. You're not supposed to point that person out across the room and say, hey, you ought, to, you ought to stop watching so much TV. It's about you. It's about you. I'll never forget, a number of years ago now, my father preached a message. My dad was a pastor all the days I was alive, and, and uh, that's all I remember about him. He was a pastor, a good one. He passed away earlier this year. And he was a faithful man to the very end. But I remember one message he preached. He was in a pastor in First Baptist Church in Provo, Utah, which is right in the heart of a Brigham Young University in Mormon country. And he was a Baptist pastor in that environment, which is pretty interesting. I was in college at the time, and I would come back and visit him as often as I could. It had nothing to do with the fact that he was four or five miles from a really great ski slope not far from there. It was always about the family. I went out there only about the family. And uh, so as I visited him, I was there one Sunday when my grandmother was actually in town. And my grandmother at this point was in her mid to late 70s, and quite frankly, was slowing down. She was less active. Her mind was beginning to be a little bit less active as well. She'd kind of unplugged from everything. And even though she was physically healthy, she was not mentally doing well because she was checking out. She was watching just a lot of TV, just sitting around the house. Didn't really have anything outside the house going on and things weren't looking great for her. My dad was concerned about that. And I remember on that particular Sunday morning, my dad preached a message out of out of this passage I, I looked at a couple of times today, which is Psalm 90, teaches us to number our days. And he made a statement I'll never forget. Now, this has been more than 30 years ago. He made a statement I'll never forget. And I knew that he meant my grandmother to hear that. He said, you can live dying or you can die 
living. All of us are going to die. Some of us had a short amount of time before we die. Some of us have many decades before we die. So you can live as though you're dying very quickly. Or you can die living full blast. I wrote that down. I remember thinking about that. And I knew at that moment that whole message was probably preached for my grandmother. Well, my grandmother went, went back and took it to heart. She did everything she could in the last years of her life to stay active, stay involved. Eventually, she passed away. And then I watched my dad in the latter years of his life. And then I began to be convinced that that was not just the truth he shared with his own mother. But it was the truth he took to heart. My dad was still pastoring a church full time at the age of 87. He'd been in ministry for 67 years. He was going to die living full blast, like a fire hydrant full blast. I remember a conversation I had with him in the last few months of his life, and I, I, I remarked, he asked me how long I'd been in ministry, and, and I said, Dad, I've been in ministry 33 years now. And he kind of paused and smiled, and he said, well, you're halfway there. <laughs> I said, you know, I don't look in the mirror and say halfway there. I'm thinking third quarter, last minute, third quarter, first of the fourth quarter. He goes, no, you're halfway there. He said, I've been in ministry 67 years. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to stop until the day I die. And that's, that's how he lived. And that's how he died. He died living with purpose, with meaning, with intent. And you know, I'm convinced that message he preached affected him more than it affected my grandmother. But I'm also going to tell you that it affects me as well. And this parable ought to affect you in that same way. How are you going to live and how are you going to die will be revealed by how you spend your time. What will you do with that? I want you to bow your head for a moment. I want our, I want our prayer team to come to the front. We end our service like this every week. We invite people to come at the end of our service and have a conversation with these at the front. These at the front are, are trained to pray with you. They're trained to answer any questions you may have. If you wonder if you have a real relationship with Christ or not, then, uh, then this is the person to ask, and they will talk to you about how to know beyond doubt that you have eternal life, and how to know that you've turned your life over to Christ and are living for Him. So I want you to take advantage of that opportunity in just a few moments when I close in prayer. I'll be going to the guest reception room, and certainly I invite guests to come and visit with me there right outside the center exit doors and across the hallway. I also invite the large number of you in here today that feel like that I need to take a step and serve the Lord in some way. We're at the guest reception center there, and I'm telling you those eight different areas of ministry that I mentioned a few moments ago, they're representatives for those eight areas of ministry there. Just stop by the desk and say, tell me how I can serve. Just tell me what's available. And they'll just have a conversation with you in these next few moments, and I want to encourage you to do that. But more than that, I want you to make sure you make the spiritual decision in this brief time. Now, we're, we're within three minutes of me closing this service. I've talked to you about maximizing your time. If you don't think about this next three minutes as a time of key decision-making, then maybe you've missed the point of the message. Maximize these next few minutes. Now, I'm going to give you a, an interpretation of the last verse that I didn't mention today. Jesus said, or the master said in the parable, that this lazy, wicked servant will be cast into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Somebody came up to me at the end of the service and said, how can that be said of Christians? That's not where we're going to go as Christians. And I said, you're right. And the point of the parable is that this one 
professed to follow that master, but in reality did not. Did not. Did not care for the things of the master. Didn't care about what was handed to him. He just was was a servant in name only. I don't want you to walk out of here today being a Christian name only, but it'll be revealed by your life as to how real your faith is. After all, if your faith is real, your life is not your own. No matter how you spend it, it's not yours. It's his. So what will you do with that? I'm gonna ask that you stand right now, if you would. Now as you stand, I'm gonna pray, and when I get through praying, I want you to come forward. Or I want you to go out to the guest reception room or to guest central. Carry on this conversation as you leave today about your time. Father, in Jesus' name today, I thank you for the privilege of opening your word and the time we've had with you today in the word. And Father, today, there are many who need to make decisions about time, where they spend it, where they hoard it, what they do with it. And Father, there are those today that are followers in name only, perhaps. And they can make a decision in these next few moments to become real, real followers, real believers, but it'll involve turning their lives over to you. And I pray today you'll give them the courage and boldness to do that very thing. Today we go out to serve you. Every minute counts. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.